Joining us now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. It's uh, I had to be out driving around early this morning, and um, you, you know, it, it's been worse. I guess I'll throw that out there because that's the Minnesota way. So, <laughs> but it is, you know, it isn't perfect driving conditions. But when is it uh, the perfect? And I, I'm going to 26. That'll be good. I've got a tree to chop down. That's. Uh, got in the wrong place and it's just not doing well so i'm gonna chop that down today and that sounds like about the right temperature to be doing things like that are uh, you making it into firewood or anything or do you is it too small i've got a neighbor that does that so ah. he is he is more than happy to get wood and he uh, has one of those i don't know the, the wood furnace that comes to have a thing out back that you burn the wood and it comes into the house and it's quite an elaborate thing and works very well for him he's very happy with it see i've got a I bunch of i was wanted to, to let you know i've got a bunch of calls and texts here this morning that i wanted to make sure we caught before the end of the show so i'm going to let you hear one this is from wendy she called in she's just south of mankato and she says now she's confused why this time of year that why are we seeing so many groups of robins in the trees she says they'll stay th- throughout the day and you know then they'll come back like a dozen or so and she says why are they just hanging around and and she says this is not only at her house but other places she, she's these these flocks just sitting in the trees and that's uh <clears throat> that's just the one i was going to mention kim forbrook of new Ulm, uh asked pretty much the same question wow. her daughter saw robins and said why are we seeing robins in new Ulm in like january that just doesn't seem to be a, a wise decision on their part but you know, we used to consider them, I guess you'd call them interim residents in the winter. We'd have some some years, and then the next year we won't. Now uh, scientists have, that are studying these beautiful birds are finding that there are migratory robins, and there are those who don't migrate. I suppose it's kind of the thing where your mom and dad went to Texas every year, so when you get that age in the winter, you go to Texas. If they didn't go, you probably stay here. And uh, scientists are studying the migratory robins and the resident robins and finding that they interbreed little, so they don't have that much to do with one another. And there are some testing being done to see if there might be some genetic differences. So overwintering robins sound just like Wendy's seeing. They tend to travel in flocks of 40 or 50 birds. They reside in ravines, riparian areas, uh, other wooded areas where they can have an open water source. That's very important. And they survive the winter in the fruit of trees like buckthorn, crabapple, cherry, mountain ash, hackberry, and hawthorn. We don't think of hackberry as a fruit or berry-producing tree, but they're exceptional trees uh, providing wildlife food. They the robins become very nomadic because they have no it's not a territorial site it's, they don't have a nest there so they can move wherever they want they don't visit our feeders very often but they do occasionally and they might eat uh, raisins currants blueberries or small pieces of suet placed on the ground or a platform feeder. And I see them here sometimes in uh, late winter, early spring, and they'll get under the suet feeders. The woodpeckers will be hammering away at the suet, and pieces will fall down, and the robins will eat them. So it, it's neat to see them. You know, it kind of changes how we as 
I'm like so many of you, we grew up and say, oh, man, the first spring, the first robin, spring is here. <laughs> and then my mom would say, well, they need three snows on their tail before it's truly spring. You know, some of these guys are getting 30 snows <laughs> on their tail. So it's, it kind of throws it out. But I still look forward to that first uh robin i see and they usually come back in a flock well how do you know that if flighty. it's a how is it the first robin if they've been hanging out all winter though how do you know which is really the first one you know the ones that have been hanging around here all winter are kind of like us they're pale in color <laughs> and just worn out and they really don't have a lot to say anymore <laughs> and the ones that are new and come back oh they're excited and uh, they look more uh, colorful on the breast to me oh. more uh, that brown beautiful brown color and they just seem to be uh noisier and just more excited about being back they're probably telling stories about this beautiful places they've seen and the ones here are more yeah yeah, yeah whatever kind of thing <laughs> yeah just i need to find some food so tell me about it later so uh yeah wendy and kim that's uh, great to hear, and it's it's still fun to see them, and they make us wonder, and they give us uh, something to get excited about. Seeing Robin, I get excited when I see him. So I have another text here from Michael Bonner, and his question is, he says, uh, bluebirds, talking about bluebirds, he says they come to his place and they're attracted to his heated water dish. Well, that's really cool. And he said, but what's the best thing to feed them? So these are bluebirds apparently visiting them. Yeah, and uh, Michael, great to hear from you. I yeah, hope you're doing well. They have been in our water dish also, and they just, uh, they're so, so beautiful. Their their colors are a little muted from when, uh, when they're here uh, in the spring, but what lovely, lovely birds. And they are, again, they are not great, uh, great feeder birds. They're a thrush, a cousin of the robin, and they're just not—they're just not into bird feeders. That said, uh, bluebirders, I'm sure some that are listening are saying, "Wait, they—they they are too," because they feed them mealworms, and mealworms are uh, uh, things that bluebirds like. So if you get mealworms and put them out, you sure can put them out for them. This time of year, they're eating a lot of fruit. They'll even eat the fruit of uh, poison ivy. So they, yeah, they, anything to get by. And uh, nobody try that. Uh, I used to lead walks with kids, and we'd try different fruit. And I would tell kids not to eat stuff, and there was always a boy in there that would eat whatever <laughs> I told him not to eat. So I wouldn't even point out the poison ivy because <laughs> I knew that young fellow would uh, would take it. And then his parents would say, what kind of idiot are you out uh, teaching kids to eat uh, poison ivy berries? But that is the the main thing. Uh, that they would be eating are mealworms, and you can get them at uh, oh any of your uh, fine uh, you know pet expo or any of those kind of places. So we'll have it uh, oh a Fleet Farm. I don't know if Fleet Farm would or not, but I'm I'm pretty sure Pet Expo would. So it, that would be something. <clears throat> How do you get them otherwise to come? Is the water, Michael, that you're already doing. So that's uh, one of the things that they are really looking for. And both bluebirds and robins, I will uh, underline this and circle it with my telestrator. <laughs> they are tough. They are really, really tough birds. So they uh, they can make it. You uh, also had one from your sister, Cheryl. Yeah, 
And I don't, I don't. Do you have it in front of you? Because I don't have it in front of me right now. Yeah, she had a bat in her home. Oh yes, and it was sw- it was swooping at her because it. Uh, I don't know what your sister's done to bats. If they want to <laughs> swoop at her, but I'm sure there's another story there. Uh, no, it's bats. If you have a winter bat, it's probably a big brown bat, and bats awaken occasionally during winter to move around a bit or to adjust to changing temperatures if their spot in the attic is suddenly too warm or too cold. And it's this time of the year that they can find their way out of a crawl space and into the house. And nobody wants to see them in the house. They don't want to be seen in the house. They don't want to see you in the house. And uh, what do you do? You know, be really careful. Uh, You'd want to wear gloves or something, but if you can place a container over the perch bat and scoop it into the container, if the temperatures outside are above freezing, which it does happen on occasion, the bat can be released outside and should be able to find a new place to hibernate under bark, a hole in a tree, hopefully not back in your attic. And so if temperatures are well below zero, or well below freezing, rather. You can keep the bat in the box maybe overnight if the temperature is going to rise in the day and then release it. But Well, do the, don't, don't they just come back in your house in a hole or something? I assume that's how they get in some small hole or something. They, it's, that's very possible. It's very possible it'll come back. But it might, you know, go saying, boy, I don't think that person likes me very much. I'm going somewhere else. Uh, you don't want to keep them in that box for too long because they would dehydrate in oh. the warm temperatures in the house. Uh, otherwise, you can contact a local wildlife re- rehabber. And I know your sister lives in River Falls, and I'm not familiar with yeah. who's out there, but there's very possible there's somebody out there. She said that uh, you she, know, she actually contacted the DNR, and she says, well, they're only problems if, if they, you know, they basically just coexist with us, so they're not a problem. But And she said only if it's white. I think I think she meant white nose syndrome. Is that what it is? White nose syndrome. Yeah, yep. she said otherwise the bats are considered endangered and they only certain times that you can remove them and you have to have permission. So I don't know, is that the case? Yeah, uh, early autumn probably is the best time to evict bats. If oh. you find uh, hibernating bats during the winter, you know, wait until spring when the bats will be able to fend to the for themselves and there's all kinds of uh, things that you can put uh, you can put a little screening on if you can find the hole where they're getting in and you can tape put duct tape on three sides of this little square so they can push their way out but they can't get back in oh. so there's various ways to do that and there are uh, bat folks that will come and do that for you and uh, it's a uh, you know, other than they've been evicted from their home, it um, doesn't do them any harm. They'll find another place. Well, is, we don't think it does any harm. Is there food in your attic or wherever they are the th- reason they come in, or is it just to hibernate, or why do they come in? Just to hibernate. Oh, so, so no it, food uh, up there? No, No, it's a nice toasty place, and I, I, was, I grew up in an old farmhouse, and the attic uh, was... The bats came in right above my bedroom, so I knew in the summertime when they were getting up and when they were going to bed, and they were they were noisy, but uh, they were fun company. I like watching them fly around in the yard, so it's nice of, Cheryl, it's nice of you to care about the bats, <laughs> and I hope it all works out not only for you, but for the bats as well. I think she just cared about getting it out of the house. They were chasing it with the tennis racket. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, 
I understand that. A lot of people don't. Uh, and it appears that they're swooping at you, but, uh, you know, they... I bet Cheryl heard and everybody heard of a certain um, generations that uh, bats will get in your hair yes. and all these things. But I've never, I've never talked to anybody who said, you know what, I had a oh. bat get in my hair one day. I've never ever heard that. So they don't want, they don't want much to do with us either. So we have to remember that that they're trying to avoid us as much as we're trying to avoid them. And uh, the swooping is just the way they fly around and. They're uh, they're little, you know. If it wasn't for bats, we wouldn't have had Batman. Just think about that. Or Al Bat, maybe. Yeah, what a great <laughs> right. loss. Batman would have no yeah. Batman. We'd had Robin and Grackle or somebody. Yeah. I don't know, Grackle Man. It wouldn't. It just wouldn't have been the same. I hey, I sent you something too. I I hope you got this. It was something I saw on the Facebook on the social media about uh, from the Audubon Society, and it says turn lights out for migrating birds and it's an online thing so I didn't know if it was legit or not it says every spring and fall billions of birds migrate through the U.S. and the majority of them flying at night navigating with the night sky so they say an estimated one billion birds are killed annually from direct collisions with illuminated buildings towers and other structures so they want people to sign this petition that you pledge that you will turn off your spotlights and your decorative lighting turn off your interior lights when you leave a room uh, use down shielded lighting outdoors and add timers or motion sensors to outdoor lighting and so that you're going to pledge that you won't have lights on at night so is that a thing it it certainly is and i i have signed that petition oh okay i'm not, I'm not sure when or uh, but i have um, lights can throw birds off their migratory path and but bird fatalities are probably more directly caused by the amount of energies that the birds waste flying around and around and calling out in confusion and the exhaustion can leave them vulnerable to other urban threats so there's a lot of uh, species that are affected by this there was uh, I think in that story you sent me there was a thing I believe that was in that that there were 400 birds were caught in the floodlights of a 32-story Texas skyscraper and killed via window collisions. So, uh, yeah, it's Audubon's Lights Out program. Hmm. It's a national effort to reduce the problem. And, again, as you said, Karen, it's a pretty simple strategy. They convince building owners and managers to turn off excess lighting during the months that the migrating birds are flying overhead. So, so it isn't an all-year thing. Which months are the most important to do that, then? I, I You know, spring and fall. Okay. Uh, spring, I would think, would be the main one, but fall is also, and it depends on where you're located as far as when the migrations are made. I got a nice uh, email from Rick Draper of Albert Lee. And he said, uh, how does a squirrel nest persist? Uh, boy, isn't that true? We're driving around, I saw three of them in one tree, a giant king of trees. And there were three squirrel nests in there. And I, I thought about it. You know, I've been watching those three squirrel nests for several years in that same tree as I drive down. It's a road that I drive regularly. And you think they're made out of leaves. Why are We don't have the nicest weather. The wind blows mm-hmm. and howls and 
how do they, I, all you have to do is say, you have to assume that they're well-engineered leaf nests, and they're called drays, and they're constructed from twigs, leaves, moss, other materials, and the twigs are often gnawed from a tree when the leaves were still intact. And then they're loosely woven together to create the floor of a nest. And then the squirrels add stability by packing damp leaves and moss on top of the twig platform to reinforce the structure. And a spherical frame is woven around the base, forming the outer shell. And it's finished by stuffing it with leaves, moss, twigs. I've seen paper in it, newspaper. I've seen newspaper and uh, paper bags in there to build up the outer shell. And the inner cavity of its nest, of its leaf nest, is lined with shredded bark, grass, and leaves. And the thick walls keep wind, water, and snow from penetrating the interior. And it keeps uh, cold air out and warm air in. And one of my, I have some, <clears throat> I have so many favorite writers, but one is Burned Heinrich. Burned is B-E-R-N-D. And in one of his books, Winter World, I just looked in it here the other day, he wrote about a 12-inch diameter dray having 26 layers of flattened, dried, and overlapped oak leaves. He said they were put in there like shingles. So 26 layers of leaves. So you just think of all the work uh, a squirrel puts into building that. It, when you think about that, it's probably not a, a great wonder that they survive is just put uh, you put in the time. Do you know how do they get that first layer to be stable? Because you're up in the air on this this limb that's kind of just blowing around way up there. So you must have to do some sort of a structure or something. I mean, they must have some engineering mind to do that. They do, and they get the green ones so they can bend them a little oh. bit, like people that weave. And then so, a lot, some of it's instinctive, but a a lot of it's learned, too, where they're doing something. They said, boy, that didn't work, so I'll try this. And sooner or later, they come up on something that that works. So I, uh, it's it's amazing to watch. Squirrels are amazing creatures. I'm watching them here in my yard. They come up, and pheasants come in, and they feed under the feeders. So I have eight pheasants here now. And uh, there's three fox squirrels trying to get in there, and the pheasants will chase them. So uh, it's not an easy life being a squirrel out there. The pheasants don't want them around there. And, they're, and if they're not chasing the squirrel, the pheasants are chasing each other. And if the squirrels aren't running from the pheasant, they're running from another squirrel. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a jungle out there for all of them. Oh, Arlene Kiar of Northfield said, I finally got my bumblebee watch file. They verified that... One of the bees I turned in near the end of May is the rusty patch bumblebee. It's real good news, so it means they are still in my neighborhood. So she took some pictures oh, and sent them off to the, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to swing and a miss on the exact name. I'm just going to call them the bumblebee folks, the ones that verify these things. And so she <clears throat> she's excited, and rightfully so, that she saw this bumblebee. It's a rusty patch bumblebee, and it is our state bumblebee. Mm -hmm. 
And I know a lot of you maybe been driving today, and all of a sudden a thought occurred to you that I wonder if we have a state bumblebee. And yes, we do. do. So I think Minnesota, we're in good shape that we have that. And uh, I wonder if Iowa does. They probably don't even have a state bumblebee. (laughs) Probably not. Do you think they even have, you know, we've got a state muffin even. So I wonder if they have that. Probably not, I'm guessing. Or blueberry, by the way. State muffin is very important, I think, and that's come into play a lot in the state legislature when they've been meeting. That's what they've been feeding on, <laughs> and it's helped them helped them get through some things. I think so. Yeah. So it's it's fun. It's, I think it's great to have a state bumblebee. I, I love bumblebee. I do too. Uh, say, you know, people are really just clamoring for information from you today. I've got a couple more texts I've got to share here, and one I sent a couple a picture of some pileated woodpeckers. Uh, outside their window, and I, I tried to send that to you, so hopefully that got to you okay. But Deb has a question for you here. She says, is there a difference with different kinds of black oil sunflower seeds? I've purchased some and another brand, but they're not as wild about, but they're both still black oil sunflower seeds. Um and Deb, I've noticed that too. There's just some that I don't know if it's the age of the sunflower seeds because they do the black oil has that oil so it does um, it lessens in quality with time so I think a lot of the cases maybe the the sunflower seeds we're getting is they're too old or they're much older than other ones so I've noticed the exact same things and I I just got a text from somebody saying is it okay to feed gray striped sunflower seeds um yeah and it it has a tough shell so it's best for larger birds with strong bills and i just call them striped sunflower seeds and they appeal to blue jays cardinals woodpeckers grosbeak, speak and they're kind of discouraged starlings house sparrows and cowbirds uh, but black oil sunflower seeds they're the best for attracting most seed eating finches sparrows chickadees and nuthatches if uh, you're getting it from a bird store, and those are usually the best places to get it, or somebody that has kind of a bird department, uh, just mention it to them. You know, we we don't want to complain because we're Minnesotans, so we we want to be kind and just say, you know, this didn't work as well, and uh, they might uh, have something saying, yeah, we got a batch in, it just wasn't oh. uh, apparently as good as what we usually get, so. Uh, I, that's very true, Deb, so that's uh, and, uh, a wonderful observation. And, Al, you brought up Blue Jays. You just mentioned it. By the way, I just got a text from Jack May asking about them. He says, Al, tell me something about Blue Jays you like. They're such bullies. They are the most handsome of birds. You look at them, and they are just breathtakingly beautiful. I can't tell the male from the female. Uh, apparently they can, and they are just beautiful birds. And when we have some of these, uh, oh, I don't want to say dismal day, but kind of dark days where we say, well, the sun will shine tomorrow, you bet your bottom dollar, and then we're wrong, so we lose a dollar. I can look outside and kind of see that blue sky of summer in a blue jay. And they're very good at planting oak trees. Uh, they bury a lot of acorns, so they're out there um uh, doing free work for us by producing more oak trees. So they are uh, a good family bird, and uh, so those are their main things. But uh, 
I just love the beauty of them. I just think they're and they're so smart, and you watch them. And you've all maybe had a child, or you were that child, where you just looked at them and said, that kid there is up to something. I'll keep your eye on him. That's what Blue Jays are. They're just up to something. They're curious. Uh, they can be a bit of a bully, but very often, uh, like I watched at a platform feeder here, a red-bellied woodpecker flew in, and there were two Blue Jays, and they all kind of went in that crouch, like a bird martial arts crouch. And finally, one blue jay said, oh, man, I'm out of here. I don't want to be involved in this. So then the, the woodpecker took all the seeds it wanted, and it flew away. And the remaining blue jay, of course, I'm sure, declared himself the winner. But they will back down to other birds when they're, you know, they're the, what we always thought of a typical uh, schoolyard bully. They are, but, oh, Jack, they're so beautiful, and it's great to hear from you. You know what? That was actually from Rich. I apologize. That was from Rich. Oh. And Jack had Jack's comment. I, I read them in the wrong order, so Rich, I'm sorry about that. But Jack says, I am looking forward to Al Bat's show on the new app. Did you know KMSU has a new app that you can load into your phone? It's a, to stream at any point that you want. You can load it in the Google App Store or the Apple uh, App Store, and then you can find whatever show you want, click on it, and you can listen to it. It's a whole new world, isn't it, Jack? So thank you very much. That's great of you to mention that. And thank you, Rich, for the your question. I just got something from uh, Vicki LaRoon said, uh, enjoyed this little visitor in the neighbor's yard, and she uh, brought out some carrot peels and ends and celery ends out, and it's a little possum, a cute little one, and it doesn't even have red ears yet. She said, my instincts are both protective and that of the mother of a teenager leaving home for the first time, thinking he or she knows more about their journey than I do. Let it go. No matter one of the great, greatest joys of winter is simply wildlife and the surprises it brings, even in the middle of downtown North Mankato. So always enjoy your show Tuesday morning. It's part of our Tuesday groove. Well, Vicki and Tom, how nice of you. Yeah, I gave, you know, I... People say you're not supposed to give bread to anything, but there was a little possum out here last night. I took a slice of bread out and gave it to him. Because <laughs> our little possum has a red tail, tip of his tail, and uh, red ears, so he's Aww. had some frostbite, which makes it. And he woofed that down, or maybe he possumed it down. <laughs> that bread went, it disappeared in record time, and I hope it does him no harm. I think it probably did him more good than harm. And they will eat anything, and folks, I think possums are beautiful. I really do. That's uh, They're not meant for Minnesota. But as my good friend said, who is? And I, I thought, well, that's a pretty good question. I heard from uh, Mr. Majeski, who did the... Uh, Mike Majeski, he did the uh, summarizing for our Elberly Christmas bird count, and we have 39 species here. Uh, we set a new record for uh, red-bellied woodpeckers, rough-legged hawks, and wild turkeys, and almost set a record rich for blue jays. Oh. We just missed it. And we had uh, two American white pelicans. Oh, did we have anything? We had a Harris's sparrow and a white-throated sparrow, so we had some things that were, uh, oh, 
I wouldn't say they were unexpected, but it was great to see. Uh, somebody saw a Merlin. It was not me, sadly. Uh, I saw an American Kestrel on a utility wire. So it was a fun, uh, fun day of bird counting. A little cool, but we had some Eurasian collared doves. And I have a Eurasian collared dove in my yard now. They resemble a morning dove, except they look huge. And it's just the way they're built. They're a little bulkier bird. Their tail is short, and it's like you clipped off the end of a morning dove's tail. And then they have a ring around the collar, like that old... uh, TV commercial about ring around the collar, <laughs> and it just looks gigantic. And they do a hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, and then they just do a disgusting sort of bleh sound. <laughs> and uh, it's really cool to see them. And it comes in here every day and feeds with the pheasants and squirrels. They all have a uneasy group under those feeders. So, I um, last thing, I heard the song of a black-capped chickadee. It's a fabulous sound. It said, love you, sweetie, or spring is here. It's that whistle. And it might have been a case of listener bias, but I think not. It was good to know that spring had arrived on a gelid winter day. And a friend, Keith Wakefield, uh, my roommate, my neighbor, my classmate, my teammate, my Sunday school mate, had died right before Christmas, and it was his favorite bird. And I thought of uh, Keith as I listened to that bird, and it uh, it helped a bit. I uh, I hope you all have a great 2023. Here at the Bat Cave, we had a riotous New Year's Eve filled with both hot and iced tea. And that caused me to fall asleep before midnight. And my wife decided she's going to wake me to give me a kiss at midnight. <laughs> and as she did that, I heard a crunching sound. And that's seldom a good thing. And my wife mumbled she'd stepped on a cat toy. Oops. The cat toy turned out to be my eyeglasses that oh, no. this new kitten that we've adopted had decided should be on the floor. Because cats don't pretend to be good, but they do enjoy spreading joy to the floor. The bent spectacles made me look even more lopsided than usual. A couple of days later, I was off to Eyeglass Repair World or something similar, and I need glasses because my wife likes me to see what I'm wearing. Remember, folks, Heartless, while we're driving past, hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Man, I can't tell you how excited I am to hear from all of you. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. I hope, uh, I hope everything is good for all of you. And thank you, Karen, as always, for your explicitly wonderful company. Thank you, Al. It's always great to have you on. We'll chat with you next week. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.